Hi, everyone. This is Heidi O'Brien, your host of Lifelong Podcast. Always a pleasure having you all here. Today, it is an interview episode, and I am bringing on a longevity doctor. Dr. Scott Norda is a board-certified doctor in family medicine with additional training and certifications in functional medicine, brain health, and longevity. Dr. Norda is passionate about empowering people to live better longer by addressing three primary root causes of chronic disease, gut health, inflammation, and toxic load. This episode, we really go deep into brain health and preventing cognitive decline, as well as his tips for longevity and non-toxic living. And I really, really enjoyed interviewing Dr. Norda. He has a great energy and he's full of amazing tips and advice for brain health, longevity, all the different things. So if you're interested in any of that or all of that, you're going to have to stick stick around for the full episode because it's a good one. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Scott Norda. Hey, Dr. Norda. Great to have you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Heidi. Pleasure to chat about brain health and longevity, two of my favorite subjects. And I would love if you could jump right into it and introduce the audience, tell them who you are and what you're passionate about. How did you get into this line of work too? Introduce everyone. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. Again, it's a pleasure to be here. I love your message that you're getting out about toxins. It's definitely a needed message out there. And it's not something that I learned in medical school, surprisingly, right? So yeah, my background was I studied neuroscience. I thought I wanted to be maybe a neurologist or a neurosurgeon. Got into medical school and found that those two just didn't fit me very well. They didn't have, when I was in my neurology rotations, there just wasn't a lot to offer patients. And I found myself drawn to primary care, went into family medicine. And as I finished my residency down in Houston, I started to realize that it still wasn't what I was looking for. It was the closest that I could find, but as they ratcheted us up to the number of patients we needed to see to make money, I quickly realized that I could never make a difference in somebody's life in five to seven minutes of an office mm. visit. And so I just started looking. I, it was probably, I would say my whole life has been a journey, but that was definitely a big step in my journey to start to look elsewhere and see what was out there. So I was finishing my residency. I found a, a group called Doctors Making House Calls in North Carolina, and I thought, okay, this gives me the chance to step out of the office, be in people's spaces, it brings back my neurology, neuroscience passion, being in assisted living centers and working with uh, people with dementia and Alzheimer's and, and other chronic diseases. And so I did that and I absolutely loved it. But along the way, I, as I saw more and more people with chronic diseases and they were all on the right medications that we're told to put people on. So we were prolonging their lifespan, but their health span or their quality of life really was so poor for the last two to eight years of their lives, or, or sometimes a lot more than that. And so, I, I, it, again, it, it started the wheel spinning and, and trying to figure out, is there a better way to deal with chronic disease? And around that same time, I would have been about a year or so out of residency, my dad was actually diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease here in Utah. And so here I was working in Alzheimer's memory care facilities, 
I had been through all my medical training. I studied neuroscience and I had nothing to offer my dad. And so it was really a time where I, again, I had to step back and say, what am I doing for people? What else is out there? There has to be a better way, a more comprehensive way to treat chronic disease. And, and is there a way to prevent Alzheimer's and other chronic diseases? I dove into the research. I found Dr. Del Bredesen at UCLA and his research on Alzheimer's disease. I found through that process of just looking at doctors who are practicing in a little bit different way, I discovered functional medicine, which I had never heard of before. Found the Institute for Functional Medicine, went through their trainings and just really caught fire because I started to realize all the things that I know I want for myself. I don't want to live on a bunch of medications. I want to live on nutrition. I want to live on exercise. I want to be vibrant and healthy throughout my life. And so when I found that the Institute for Functional Medicine taught kind of these basic concepts of how to take the physiology that I learned in medical school and actually apply it to what does that mean when I put a certain type of food in my body, take a certain vitamin, what do vitamin or nutrient deficiencies look like, hormone deficiencies, and then I figured out toxins that you talked about, these, the toxic effects that, that certain chemicals have on us usually slowly accumulating over time rather than one big toxic exposure that we sometimes learn about in medical school. And so all of that I started to learn and then I put together my dad's story of he sprayed our cherry trees growing up with chemicals, with pesticides, mm. and he was out there all the time doing that. He had a really poor sleep habits because he worked shift work at Hill Air Force Base. Mm. And so I just started to piece together, okay, if, that's, if these are the root causes of chronic disease, we have all this research on Alzheimer's disease, and then I took my dad's story and started to figure that out. And then by that point, unfortunately, he was pretty far advanced, and he ended up passing away. But I was able to take that experience and that really strong motivation to say, I don't ever want to see anybody go through that experience that, that my, dad, my, my mom went through, my dad went through, we all went through as a family, and especially for myself and my family. And so putting that all into uh, a program slowly and figuring out, okay, there's years and mountains of research. How do you apply that in an individual basis? Mm -hmm. What does that look like when I send my patient home and say, you need to do these 3,000 things, right. right? It's just not, it's not practical. Mm -hmm. And so starting to break that down and say, how do we make that into bite-sized pieces? We created the BrainLift program, BrainLift Neuroprotective Program to help people prevent Alzheimer's disease and other cognitive decline and opened up Resolve Medical. This We have a, a longevity membership and yeah, it's just been step by step, but always learning. There's always more to, to learn and figure out and, and learning that everybody is definitely individualized. So this sort of formulaic way of practicing medicine to the masses, which does make sense from a research standpoint, you really have to learn how to apply that to an individual and personalize their treatment. Beautiful story, just your father's story and how that impacted you and your journey from tra the traditional route turned into the home care route turned into now totally functional. That's a beautiful transformation and testimony, really. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. And I know that the, the audience will also really appreciate that. It, it goes to show how medical professionals can 
traditionally trained medical professionals, they know medicine really well. They know medicine really well, but they don't know lifestyle very well. They don't know much about toxins. So it's incredible that doctors like you are out there because oftentimes it can seem a little hopeless when you realize, oh man, doctors are, it's just about how many patients can I see? How many medications can I turn out? But it is hopeful. I'm glad that you're doing this work. I would love to hear a little bit more about the BrainLift program and ways to slow or prevent reverse cognitive declines. Yeah, like I was saying, we, we dove into the research again initially for my dad to say, okay, if, if there's something that he can do, that he can eat, that he can change to reverse his cognitive decline, what are those things? And then the more that I researched, the more I realized, okay, there's a whole mountain of, of research out there that none of us as traditionally trained doctors know about for whatever reason. It's just not in mainstream uh, media. It's not made aware or, or made available to us. And so through that process, I started to break down nutrition first. So we, and I say I, but really it was a team of us and our team, we started to break down, okay, if if antioxidants, for example, are so critical in decreasing inflammation in the brain, then what does that look like as far as what somebody eats in a day? And if sugar and certain foods, highly processed foods, inflammatory oils are so bad, what does that look like as far as what things we need to avoid? And so we just started to break that down. And through the process, I really wanted to focus on not like all the things you can't do in your life, right? Because a lot of times when people come to us, they start to think, man, you're taking all the joy out of my life. I can't do this and I can't eat this and I can't. And so what we did was we said, okay, well, let's focus on the things you should eat on a daily basis, every single day. And we came up with five Fs and then added a sixth F after that with one that's a cheater, but we'll talk about it. First F we talked about is flavor. It's super critical, and I like to use the word flavor because it adds to the food that you're eating, meaning herbs and spices. Mm. Okay, so if we're talking anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, so many benefits throughout the body and the brain uh, that can shut down or prevent that inflammatory process leading to Alzheimer's and, and other forms of cognitive decline, just that simple step of taking in turmeric, cumin, pepper, and fresh herbs like basil and rosemary and thyme, as you get in the practice of just every single meal, adding herbs and spices into your meal, you're dramatically, just with that one step, decreasing your risk of cognitive decline and other chronic diseases. So flavor is number one. Love it. Next one is fiber. Mm. So this one, out of all foods, I would say, or nutritional interventions, fiber probably has the most research behind it. There's a lot of way to t ways to take in fiber. Fiber is going to be really helpful for helping your bowels, for feeding your good bacteria, for helping control cholesterol levels and inflammation levels. So vegetables, taking in plant-based fiber is really important. So that's beans and legumes are a really good source of fiber. That's vegetables, certain fruits, and even certain grains. We're in this sort of research, a lot of people say, well, you need to go gluten-free, you need to go dairy-free. You don't always. Some people do. If they have a sensitivity, you definitely want to avoid conventional dairy, right? You want to avoid the steroids and pesticides and all the things that go into or genetically modified foods. But the foods themselves, if you can get them at their good raw sources, 
can be beneficial. So grains are a part of that fiber. And then the next F is going to be fermented foods. So again, we talked about the gut bacteria and that balance of gut bacteria plays such a huge role in, in all chronic diseases, in really optimizing our health. And there's a gut-brain axis, meaning our gut and our brain actually talk to each other. A lot of the hormones and neurotransmitters that are made, that are used in the brain are made in the gut. So there's a definite connection there. And the things that the bacteria make in our gut are critical for our brain health. So fermented foods is a big part of that, that we should be taking in on a regular basis. And most Americans don't take mm -hmm. in a lot of. And then the next one, here's our cheater, is phytonutrients. I know it's a pH, but we're sticking with the F yeah. sound here. Phytonutrients is, if you look at your plate every single time that you eat, you should have some type of phytonutrient in there. That means a color-rich fruit, vegetable, or both. Greens are particularly helpful. Uh, so green leafy veggies, colorful berries, cherries, pomegranates, colorful, rich right now in the fall would be squash, those types where you can see that color. Those are the antioxidant uh, benefits that come from those, the veggies and just live plants that are so beneficial. Those are our flavor, fiber, phytonutrients, fermented foods. And then the other one is going to be healthy fats. So this one has gotten a lot of media over the years. Should we eat fat? Should we not? What is good fat versus bad fat? In residency, it was, we, we always were teaching people that they needed to eat low fat and it just didn't resonate with me. Number one, I didn't like most of the low fat foods that I ate, but they're pumped with other things, right? So what is the alternative that people go to? It's usually sugar. It's, it's lots of carbs. It's other processed foods. And so I did my research project in residency on saturated fat and particularly whole milk. And it was really interesting to see that everything that I had learned was actually wrong and that whole milk and health, healthy saturated fats were actually beneficial for the brain, for the body, for cardiovascular disease. Mm. Now, again, we come back to there's a personalization, mm -hmm. right? If somebody has super high cholesterol and they take in some dairy and it raises their LDL, then maybe there's some ways to do that in a different way for people, but plant-based uh, fats as well. So we're talking olive oil. These are polyunsaturated fats are going to be the particularly beneficial. So olive oil, olives, avocados, nuts and seeds, fish and fish oil, those omega-3s. So healthy fats is a really important part of the feeding the brain. Our brain is made up of a lot of fatty tissue. And so uh, we need to make sure we get in plenty of healthy fats. And then the fifth or the sixth F that we added later is fasting. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not something you look at on your plate, but it is something that you should do on a regular basis. Whether that's intermittent fasting, if you do that, I recommend skipping the evening rather than morning meal. There's improved benefits as far as insulin resistance that way. Mm -hmm. But you're getting a, a time, Dr. Bredesen and his research says, you need to go at least 12 hours overnight for just every night for a fast. You skip, you don't eat three hours before bedtime. And then you try to push that window. So maybe trying to get to 14 or 16 hours of not eating in a day. And then the rest of the time you fit your meals in that time. So that works for a lot of people. Or you can do prolonged fasting like a 24-hour fast, which I like to do a 24-hour fast once a week. And then again, not eating in the evening. 
there are lots of different ways to do it, but fasting is a really important part of that. And I took a lot of time on nutrition, but that's a big part of, that's our first phase or our first part of our brain lift program. We actually start with a week of like mindset because you've probably found when you, for yourself or when you talk to people, like a big part of what we accomplish is what we're going to, what we think we can do. And so we work with people on saying, okay, let's imagine who you want to be in the future. What do you see yourself doing in 10, 20 years, 30 years? Who's around you? What kind of life are you living? What does your health look like? And then we keep that in the forefront of our mind to say, okay, if that's what you want, then what habits are you doing right now to maintain or create that future for yourself? So I think that mindset piece is so important. Yeah, so we start with that, then we go to nutrition, and then we start to dive into the lifestyle factors. So exercise, obviously, is a big part of that. If we look at research around what are the few top things that you can do to prevent cognitive decline, any chronic disease, it's going to be reducing sedentary behavior and moving in some way, and then also some type of fasting. Those are the two, like taking in good foods, but fasting actually has so much research on longevity, on preventing cognitive decline. So yeah, number one step for people and you meet them where you're mm -hmm. at, right? So all of you listeners out there, if you spend most of your time sitting either in an office, on a couch, whatever you do, then maybe step number one is just reducing sedentary behavior. So finding a way, if you guys watch, our, uh, watch me on Instagram, you'll find periodically that my wife likes to post pictures of me working in all sorts of different positions in different places because I can't hold still. I, I know how important it is to not have a sedentary life. So I'm standing right now at a standing desk. I'll put it down. I'll kneel. I'll sit for a minute. I'll move. Uh, we have a walking pad that I work on. We have a little tiny uh, bicycle that I pedal while I'm sitting on a chair. So they're just, you find ways, right, to, to move in some way, even if you have to work, even if you can't move very well mm -hmm. right now. Just find a way to get yourself moving and keep yourself active. And then, of course, there's yoga and stretching. There's uh, strength training. There's balance training. There's aerobic. And all of those are important. And combining a little bit of all of that together is really important. And the nurse practitioner, Brandon Lewis, that works with me, has done such a good job of studying and then putting the pieces of all of that into this brain lift program where everybody starts with a benchmark just to see where are you at on each of these different things, your speed, your agility, your balance, all these things. And then that's your benchmark. Let's set some goals. And then we're going to work toward improving in each of those areas. And what a lot of people as they age start to leave behind, I would say two things, but the number one thing for longevity when it comes to exercise is going to be strength training because we've found through the research that building muscle actually increases mitochondria, not only in the muscle, but throughout the body. Mitochondria is critical for maintaining brain health. So a lot of people probably heard the term mitochondria when they took a biology class in high school or college or even junior high. And mitochondria is the energy producer. That's where ATP is made in the body or in each cell of the body, I should say. And there are certain things that help mitochondria, like getting enough oxygen is a big part of that and certain nutrients, but then there are certain things that really deplete or kill off or are toxic to mitochondria. So a lot of toxins we're exposed to, certain viruses. So we see people like long COVID with extreme fatigue because 
COVID has, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is toxic to mitochondria. And so it really, in addition to inflammation, really depletes that mitochondria. And we see in cognitive decline, the same thing that mitochondria, this energy production that allows us to have the energy in every cell to clean ourselves out, to do the things we need mm -hmm. to, starts to decline. And so one way to keep up that mitochondria is exercise and especially adding in some strength training into that exercise. That's incredible. I love to hear that because strength training is my preferred exercise and I know about the importance of mitochondria, but thank you for that, that explanation. Okay. So exercise is a big one. And then we go into other modifiable lifestyle factors, things that you can do on your own at home without depending on a medication or a doctor, mm -hmm. right? Maybe I'll step back for one second just to say our overall goal in brain health and cognitive decline prevention is we want to take away from the brain the things that might be causing problems. So toxins and stress and inflammation and other things like that. We want to and excess insulin and glucose. So all those are going to be toxic. We want to add into the brain the things that it's lacking or that it needs. So Dr. Bredesen talks about atrophic type of Alzheimer's or cognitive decline is lack of growth factors. So that's micronutrients. Um, so you want to make sure you have all the right micronutrients, your vitamins and minerals and fatty acids and omega-3s and all those mm -hmm. things. And then, so once, and then hormones are a big part of that. So making sure you have adequate hormones and hormone production. So you get the growth factors, you have the support that your body needs to create or make more BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or basically fertilizer for the brain cells. And then once we take away what we don't want or what's toxic, we add in what our brain needs or is lacking, then we have to train our brains. So we'll get to the brain training part uh, first and then do the others. Mm. Brain training is a really critical part of this. And there are lots of different ways to do brain training. We use Brain HQ, just because it has so much good research behind it from Dr. Merzenich, who helped uh, create it. He was one of the brain, he is one of the brain gurus in, 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 of our time. And it's an app. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on the computer. But Brain HQ is a big part of what we do. Just learning. One phrase that we use a lot with people, and if you listen to me on social media much, you'll hear me use the phrase, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's so critical for our brain, for our overall health, that we don't settle in any way. So again, we're not settling when it comes to movement and exercise. We don't just get more and more sedentary over the years, even though that's the tendency. We don't settle when it comes to social, our socializing. So again, these are all things that I saw my dad do. I saw in the research and now we've put into the program. But we know that social isolation is a big part of this. If somebody, for example, my dad and a lot of people... If you start to lose your hearing a little bit, then maybe you socially isolate and that can contribute. But just not being able to think clearly, you get worried. I hear this all the time from people where they say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with the right words or I can't explain myself very well in a social setting or I don't want to get called on. And so I sit in the back corner or I don't go to things anymore or I don't get together with friends or other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that social isolation is a big part of contributing to a rapid increase in cognitive decline. Mm. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable and say, apologize if you have to, but you got to be out there socializing with people, pushing your brain. We get comfortable with being uncomfortable when it comes to fasting, when it comes to movement. Uh, those are all really important. And brain training is not comfortable uh, in any way, but you have to just embrace that. 
another one that that uh, we use a lot of when we're, we we talk about detoxification, right? So this is obviously in your realm. Then we do a whole month on detoxification. So again, we're looking at what toxins do you have exposure to? Let's try to eliminate those, bind them, improve your body's ability to eliminate toxins, whether that's supporting glutathione production, sweating in a sauna or in other ways is really important. We can eliminate concentrated uh, toxins through our sweat and saunas actually uh, increase uh, heat shock proteins that are anti-inflammatory, that support our mitochondria, that support muscles. I've probably been like way too far into infrared and the research seems to support either one really. Uh, I think there are detoxing benefits with infrared that maybe are a little bit above and beyond the benefits of a typical mm-hmm. dry sauna. But uh, you get the heat shock proteins at a high temperature that you can get in a dry sauna as well. So. I always feel really sharp after using the sauna. Mm-hmm. I'm like energized. I feel like any sense of brain fog is just gone. I feel really clear. It's, right. I love the sauna. And the other thing that does that for me, and I love to pair these two things together, is to hit it right with the opposite, right? So you go straight from hot to cold or vice versa. But that cold, cold plunges, cold showers, you get the cold shock proteins, interestingly, that are going to increase glutathione production, anti-inflammatory. And I get the same thing. So I'll sit in our sauna every morning. My morning routine is like meditation, prayer in the sauna. I'm sweating like crazy. I get out, go to the cold plunge. And I come out with that tingly, my brain's awake, my body's awake, and then go into exercise after that. So there are a lot of different ways to do it, but that combination of it's going to be uncomfortable, but embrace it and your body will really uh, appreciate that. We talk, the next part is about stress and this is part of stress, right? Is stress all bad? No, it's actually our body's set to be continually strengthened and stretched by adding a little bit of stress or this principle of hormesis. If we, for example, get cold and our body is shivering and it's miserable and we don't really enjoy it, our body actually increases brown fat tissue, which again, increases mitochondria in our body. It allows us to have more resiliency in different temperatures. There's a lot of benefits to doing that, even though it's uncomfortable. But dealing with stress, chronic stress is really where it becomes problematic. So we have we're just, we're in a kind of a stressful world. And unless we, again, become proactive in saying, I'm going to take control of my life and my health, and I'm going to, I'm not going to let life just happen to me where I wake up, my brain's already thinking about all the things I have to do. I'm worried about my work, what my boss said to me, what in this relationship, what this person said to me. No, you start your day by saying, I'm in control. You think about the things you're grateful for the blessings that you have. And it starts your brain in the right cycle during the day so that you can actually break that stress cycle and get out of that fight or flight every single day. But again, it takes you being proactive Mm -hmm. and taking those steps. So stress control is a really big part of that. Realizing acute stressors are okay, chronic stress is bad, high cortisol for a long period of time, we're probably gonna have inflammation, our brain's gonna be foggy, We're not going to have a lot of energy. It's going to increase our insulin production, make us more likely to be insulin resistant, Mm -hmm. maybe even leading to diabetes or at least prediabetes. So there are so many problems associated with that. And again, 
being able to just pause throughout the day, step outside. I live in sunny southern Utah, St. George Desert, which I love. Put my feet on the ground and just have a few minutes of deep breathing or relaxation or some type of stress relief, even if it's a busy day, right? Yeah, it's important. The last one is sleep and just making sure, again, I mentioned my dad works shift work and he was just an amazing dad. And he would come home at somewhere between 1.30 or 2 o'clock, uh, get a few hours of sleep, wake up with me and help me get ready for school and never got the sleep that he needed, kind of sacrificed himself wow. for us. But understanding how critical sleep is, is a big part of this. Our brain needs to clean during the night. We have our glymphatic system that was discovered not actually not that long ago. And, and yeah, our brain basically dumps. We talk about brain dumps, right? Our brain literally dumps all the toxins and all the junk out of it during the night through our glymphatic system so that it can clean out dead and dying cells to, and uh, allows us to have kind of this life and energy that we need each day. So in addition to storing memories and all the other benefits that come with like REM sleep and, and deep wave sleep. So, wow. Well, I am taking it all in. I appreciate you going into this level of depth too, because that is so helpful. It's like you're sharing all these, I don't want to say secrets, but this really <laughs> helpful information coming from a functional doctor like yourself. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And I know that the audience does too. Shifting into toxin talk, there are obviously tons of toxins and we know that many of them have negative effects on the body. Are there certain toxins that you believe cause the most problems in the brain in particular? Yes, yeah, so you know what it means when people say I have mold brain. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big one. I, you know, interestingly, that was probably one of the biggest surprises for me when I started to dive into this world was how much mold can affect people uh, and how often they were finding in autopsies that mold was actually in that kind of complex of beta amyloid plaques and tau tangles, all the junk that kind of surrounded these plaques in the body or in the brain after people died from Alzheimer's disease. They started to see mold. They started to see heavy metals like mercury and arsenic. Uh, they started to see <clears throat> other environmental toxins. So certainly like sides, glyphosate, those are going to be phthalates from plastics. BPA is a really big one. Oftentimes these toxins will stay in there for a long time, for years. And so I'll have people who grew up in a house that had really bad mold and I might see them 30, 40 years later and they have no other known mold exposure and there's still high levels of mold in there we suspect that the mold continues to, uh, you can have an exposure of a long, long time ago where then it sits in our fatty tissues. That's the trick with these toxins. It's not just sitting in our bloodstream and our body is able to eliminate it. It hides out in our brains, Fat, the fatty tissues yeah. in our brains, the fatty tissues in our bodies. That's wild. Absolutely wild. And yeah. But that, when I learned that these toxins, for me, personal to mold store in the fat and then I learned that the brain is majority fat it all clicked it's okay this is why my brain fog and fatigue is so bad when it comes to the treatment the 
after you you get the these results, obviously it's all bio individualized, but from a toxin perspective, do you have any tips for reducing one's toxic exposures? Yeah, and I'll just say again starting with the bigger picture like stress, right? You need to first identify the source and then take care of what you can as far as eliminating what's around you. So in toxins, you try to find what's causing it. If we see you have mold, then it's worth doing some testing in your house to see if there's toxins that you're continually around. Because otherwise, I have a guy I'm working with now that, man, we've just treated him with every possible removal. And he's in a hyperbaric chamber in his house for hours a day and sauna and all these things. And he can make improvements, but he never gets better because... We finally figured out his house had multiple different exposures and a second home that he had multiple different exposures. And so that's number one is you have to get it out. You have to be away from the environment, either get yourself out or get the mold out of the house or the toxins out of the house. Look at the products that you're using, the cleaning products, the hygiene products, all those things, right? So minimizing, decreasing exposure. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be exposed in some ways, but eating organic, decreasing exposure in every way that you have control over is really important. And then the second part is getting it out, right? So eliminating what we can. This is, and I want to emphasize this to people, this is a long game. You don't want to try to eliminate everything all at once, especially if you've had years of ongoing heavy exposure and you have lots of mold and other toxins in there. If you just try to go into a massive elimination and detox all at once, you're not going to feel very good. You're likely to feel worse. And so take the lawn game approach and be patient with it. Usually it feels like you make two steps forward and one, or sometimes two steps back and then three steps forward and two steps so back. Not right? linear, so not linear, yeah. <laughs> it's not linear. It's not like an infection that you typically think of. You take an antibiotic, we kill the bacteria, you feel better. It's not that way when it comes to mold and other toxins. So with that big picture in mind, uh, yeah, there are lots of things you can do. I would say sauna is probably one of the most important uh, and effective ways, again, because you're going to be eliminating it in a very concentrated way through the sweat. That's true, especially of ochratoxin, the ochratoxin A, but it, it's true of all mold toxins, of a lot of environmental toxins and, and heavy metals. And some of those that we're exposed to don't have things that bind to them easily. These chelating agents that can bind and help our body get rid of them or kill them off. And so it's important that we just eliminate as well as effectively as we can. So sweating through a sauna is really important. And then making sure your other elimination pathways are, are working well is also important. So you're having regular soft bowel movements. They're not overly firm and hard. They're not diarrhea, but you're having regular bowel movements every day. Your urination is really no, no problems there. You're urinating by taking in lots of water. Typically, we're saying at least half your body weight in ounces of water a day. And sometimes when you're detoxing, you need to do quite a bit more than that, especially if you're mm -hmm. sweating. And then I mentioned binders. So I think that's a really important mm -hmm. piece. I would say somebody who's had heavy mold and other toxin exposures probably needs a binder for most of the rest of their life. But especially in that early, those early months and years mm -hmm. is you bind and you help your body. So every time you're exposed, you're eliminating it as often as you can. If you're exposed to the food, you have binders in there that can help eliminate mm -hmm. it. And so... Lots of different binders out there. I won't name any specific brands this time because there are a mm -hmm. lot, but I think charcoal, I really activated charcoal, zeolite clay, 
I think pectins mm-hmm. uh, can be helpful, like citrus pectin or apple pectin. And then, yeah, I think those are probably, you can find them in different combinations and different products, mm-hmm. but I think those are really helpful. Absolutely. I mentioned antioxidants before, and since you're talking about food, that's a big part of it. So as we're trying to mobilize these toxins, they tend to, they're just toxic. They're damaging to the tissues around them. And so as it comes out of the fat, it's, it's damaging to that adipocyte or the fat cells, but it's also damaging to the, the tissues around it. So as we mobilize those, as we use glutathione, you mentioned cruciferous vegetables that are high in sulforaphane and can help us to make those water soluble. As we mobilize those, they just cause damage around to the tissues around or the cells around. And so that increases oxidative stress And so antioxidant-rich foods can really help with that. So again, we're back to those spices and herbs and colorful fruits and vegetables that that are loaded in antioxidants. Sometimes detoxing, it sounds, oh, you just detoxing and it's great because you're detoxing, but it's hard. It's hard on the body to detox. So true. Yeah. Yeah, And I was just going to say with mold, sometimes you also need something that can deplete it as much as possible, kill off as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you can do that through products like Biocidin I really like and other natural products that have natural herbal options to kill it off. And sometimes if it's a, if you have a a lot of mold in there, often we'll use a prescription antifungal, Mm -hmm. something like itraconazole or ketoconazole, one of those fluconazoles that can help just really deplete the number. I wouldn't start with that. I like to set the stage, make sure you're eliminating, make sure you're taking in all the right Mm -hmm. foods and hydrating and your body's primed to handle when you get a bunch Mm -hmm. of die off. But uh, sometimes we do need to add those in as well. Awesome. This has been incredible, Dr. Norda. I really appreciate you being here. In closing, where can everyone find you? Online, Instagram, website, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Heidi. And People can find me on Instagram. It's just at Dr. Scott Norda, dr.scott.norda. And yeah, at Scott Norda. And then our our website is resolveutah.com. Awesome. Thank you again. One more thing before you go. Are you subscribed to Lifelong Podcast? Have you left a rating and review? Are you following along on Instagram at lifelong underscore pod? and at Holistic with Heidi. If you're not doing so already, consider doing it to support our show and to help spread this message near and far. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week.